Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibi Ordunia. And this is Words and Shit. Brought to you by The Blah Poetry Spot and Write Art Out. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. You know, Chibi, uh, this, this pandemic mm. and uh, the quarantine mm. and uh, life in general, and I know that you've, there, there have been uh, some more recent uh, struggle in your life with, and I don't want to get too, you know, too much on this, but uh, you know, you had a a job with a certain organization, and then you didn't. Mm. And um, I know I go to, to through some transitional moments in my life, but I'm kind kind of curious, like, what do you do to hold it all together? Mm. This is this is the realest conversation we've had. Yeah, it's been a year and then some. Uh, I often feel like that little meme, you know, where it's like that little cartoon character sitting at his desk with fire every, all around him being like, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, but I will tell you, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to go to a therapist. Mm. And it was, it was an interesting you know, conversation to have with people that I think needs to be, have more often because it is one of those things where like, you know, growing up in a Mexican household, like, why you pay, you know, like <laughs> yeah. shit happens, get yeah. over it. Get over it. Yeah. You're strong. Uh-huh. Be strong. Be macho. Yeah. And this idea that like going at seeking help, you know, like asking for help or, or going to see a therapist is, is somehow a sign of weakness um, is is bullshit. It needs to be completely torn down. And honestly, the one person I miss the most in this quarantine is my therapist, Linda. Mm. You know, and like we love her so much. Like, well, before the world closed down, when we were out and about, uh, if something would happen where it's like mm, that was effective communication, we'd be like, Linda would be proud. Yes, <laughs> Linda would be proud. People would be looking at us. Who the fuck is Linda? Never you mind. <laughs> And why she's so proud all the time. <laughs> Never you mind. But it's just, it's one of those things where like your mental health is just as important as your physical health, right? Like nobody gives you shit for going to see the doctor when you feel bad. Right, right, right. So, and I, you know, yeah, I, I appreciate what you say about uh, losing some of the stigmas, especially in our culture about, um, about mental health and, and maintaining a good mental health. I know sometimes, I've had issues maintaining, but um, you know, there's there's people in my life that that will check on me and will uh, look in on me and 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 people that I can talk to and whatnot. But this kind of leads us to this uh, conversation we had with uh, Boris Rogers, aka Blues, mm. and some of the stuff that he talked about with not only his own life but also the people in his family. Yeah, I was so appreciative of just how open it was, um, not just to talk about it in the conversation, but how vulnerable he he really puts himself in his work, you know, because he writes about it in his poetry and just being real, real, real about the fact that, like, we need help. Sometimes we need to seek help outside of our immediates, you know, and uh, the mental health of people, especially in communities of color, is something that we need to talk about and celebrate. So I can't wait to share that conversation with the rest of the world. Let's get into it.
Blues Rogers has risen through the ranks of spoken word entertainment. He's an Emmy Award winner, been recognized with an Excellence Leadership Award from the NAACP, the current director of creative engagement for the Blumenthal Performing Arts, and the slam master and coach of Slam Charlotte, who's won like everything. They had back-to-back -back victories in 2007 and 2008, and then they won again in 2018. They won So Friday in 2010. He's featured at, and hosted at the LA Poetry Festival, as well as the National Poetry Slam and the Individual World Poetry Slam. He's been a voiceover artist and has done everything from the National Museum of African American Music, Junior Achievement, the Carolina Panthers, Charlotte Hornets, the Charlotte Chamber of Commerce, and then he's been on stage with everyone. He's been on stage with Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez, Mahogany Brown, Dr. Cornell West, and Gil Scott Heron. And he's also been on stage with Outkast, Amel LaRue, Young Jay-Z, Last Poets, D'Angelo, John Legend, Della Soul, KRS-One, and Pink Floyd. That's right. Pink Floyd. He's got three CDs, got a mixtape, and a book of poetry called Articulate Slang. He's been everywhere, done everything, but when he's not out doing those things, being one of the most talented voices of his generation, he devotes, devotes his time to his family, his wife, mm. and his three lovely children. Mm. I haven't even heard his poetry tonight, and I already want to throw a shoe at him. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Blues, welcome to the show. What's up, man? What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Good, good. How are you doing? I I, I'm great. I and I keep saying like I've got to give people a really redacted version of my of my bio because when I hear it, I'm like, that's it's too fucking long. I gotta I gotta cut that thing down. No, that was that cut. And and then I just I just want to do one where it's just like, hey, here's blues. He does poetry. That way, there's no high expectation because you know you put all the stuff in there and then you get up there and, and you do the poems and the next thing I know. You guys are getting like DMs and emails like, hey, whoever that was, never bring him back. Like, <laughs> I'm so scared of that. I'm so scared of that. Uh -huh. I think you need to find it like 150 words or less, right? Just right. Exactly. Exactly. A paragraph. Well, we are so excited to have you on here. Accolades after accolades after accolades. You've been doing doing this poetry thing for a while. And so we just we are just very excited to have you. That being said. Let's go ahead and start off the show how we do every week and just hand it over to you and hear some poetry. Awesome. Um, first and foremost, thank y'all so much for having me here. We'll do some poems. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, my daughter goes to therapy. It helps to quiet some of the noise of being a teenager. It helps to bury some of the pain of losing a best friend at age 14, helps to tame some of the anxiety of a mother's high expectations. I sit in the false comfort of a lullaby lobby. It's a limbo with a leather couch, a carousel of coffees for a Keurig, matching mugs and Wi-Fi with enough bandwidth to process all of your worries because this place makes you question everything. John Mayer is playing from the corner of the room. It's like ironic thoughts set to soft guitar. Fathers, be good to your daughters. So now you question, am I enough of a John Mayer song for her? Do black girls even need therapy? How many black women wish they had therapy when they were black girls? Wish their fathers would have considered therapy. Just wish their fathers 
would have considered being fathers. As a father, I remember all of my dark places. Then I wonder if I left a map with all of my suicide thoughts marked buried somewhere in my baby's sadness, something she found after the tears washed up the dirt that covered it and pointed out the places to go and hurt yourself and no one else can find you if she finds it. This map, I hope this therapist helps her avoid the mark spaces, the dark areas. I hope they don't ask me for help trying to navigate it, ask me for answers, because I don't have enough soft guitar and easy calm to give her a response in song. I'm more just complicated and confused question sitting in a limbo lobby, not drinking the coffee, not getting comfortable on this couch, trying to block out the John Mayer melody, just wondering if I even made the right decision to bring her here. Television. Television has taught me to be father to your daughter means making hard decisions, tough choices about how they will grow up. None of those decisions or choices included therapy. James Evans never took Thelma to therapy. Uncle Phil never took Hillary or Ashley to therapy. Cliff Huxtable and Carl Winslow never took their daughters to therapy. Black fathers don't take care of their daughters in this way because admitting that your child needs a therapist is a blow to your ego and feels like an indictment of your parenting, like you're not doing a good job. So instead, so instead we hypertension, ghost story and father fable and useless sage advice them with our unnecessary masculinity. Tell them, tell them allegories about the strength of their black skin, their natural hair and how the rivers of their ancestors waded through will get them to be strong, to get them to overlook the need for mental health, to tell them that their bloodline and a fix-it-all Jesus will be enough to make you unsad. Because Black fatherhood says, don't let them into your mind. Don't let them into your body. Robitussin in the Bible are always the perfect home remedy. This session is only an hour, but I need it to last a lifetime. I need it to lift her from a rock bottom to rise her in the morning when the depression is so heavy that not even her grandmother's black girl magic stained in her DNA is enough to drag her out of bed. I need her to know it's okay to not be okay. The music is a blend of annoying and truth. She walks out of the session, a smile etched into her face. I wanna trust that that's a breakthrough, but fathers will always carry worry and question because I think that's what good fathers do. So I question and I wonder if I will ever be enough of a John Mayer song for this black girl. <laughs> I hope y'all still rocking with me. Uh, yeah, why not? Why not start off super heavy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, yeah, I love I love my little girls. Like they are they are my world. So I'm gonna do another poem down the line for my youngest daughter. Uh, but I figure uh, why not get into some other stuff that's real personal, Bill? So me, I'm a I'm a I'm a type two diabetic. Right. Not a lot of people know that. It's not like I'm wearing a T-shirt. This is I'm type two. That's not me. But uh, I, I do say that because uh, I, I kind of share the work and what it means to be sort of 
taking responsibility for my own health. Uh, so this poem was born of me finding out that I was type two. It's scary when your metabolism has slowed down so much that your mother's diabetes has enough time to catch up with you and blur your vision. But not so much that you can't read your grandmother's blueprint, blueprint for a lower leg amputation. We swallow recipes passed down from generation to generation. You make them according to tradition, according to the way you was raised. They must taste the same. They all must have sugar in them. Even the chicken soup for the soul. I got the sugar when I was 39, according to recipe, according to the way black families are made. We were served plates of love. The love was sweet. It had sugar in it. I loved love. The taste was addictive. Love was in grits. Some find that kind of blasphemous, but when the morning is cold and your grandmother's voice is a fireplace, her hands warm coals that cooked food, you swallow that love whole without asking about the ingredients. The preparation alone was enough. Her pushing love through the cracks of her bones was enough. I swallow metformin to balance out the love or lack thereof, not sure of the science of my sugar. There's science, a history, a ledger left in my grandmother's blood. A page was ripped out when they took her left leg after Alzheimer's took her husband. My grandfather's Alzheimer's was scary, is scary. It is a reminder of my inheritance, the things I will collect when I get older for now. I am collecting from my grandmother. She had so much sugar to give. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, why is this dude going so heavy? <laughs> I hope y'all are enjoying it. I just, I, I, I'm loving that I get to share poems that I don't often get to share. So this is, this is so much fun for me uh, to do, to do these poems. So, um, all right, I'm gonna lighten the mood, just touch, y'all don't mind. Um, so I am 40 something, I don't mind saying it, I'm 40 something years old. And back in the day, we used to go like to this, there's an amusement park where, you know, where I live in Charlotte, North Carolina called Carowinds. And they had this amazing ride called Thunder Road. Now I say this because when I was 18, 17 at the time, the ride was amazing. Right. And I say amazing now because it's amazing that we didn't die. Listen, I wrote this thing right before they tore it out when I was like in, I think, I think I just turned 40. And so they were getting rid of this ride, um, which they should have done sooner because this motherfucker would have killed me. Uh, but anyway, so I wrote this poem after thinking about all the amusement parks I've ever been to, all the state fairs. Um, so, and I like to have fun with my poetry. I love to make people laugh with poems. So. Um, I want to go to an amusement park that's dangerous. Like, make me sign a series of forms and waivers because I'm entering at my own risk. Hopping on a ride that will most likely result in a slipped disc. Give me something dangerous just so I can have stories to tell my grandchildren that start off something like this. Back in my day, 
bumper cars did 35 miles an hour and ran off diesel fuel. Back in my day, roller coasters were wood made and tied together with zip ties. And if you didn't die, then you got a T-shirt that said, I rode the Widowmaker and survived. Back in my day, there weren't no height requirements. Every man, woman, and child took two shots of Epicac, climbed into the Gravitron, while a dude named Randy with three fingers on each hand yells out, all right, goddammit, hold on. Back in my day, the teacups could easily pull six Gs. No food was gluten-free. We ate what we wanted. The haunted house was actually fucking haunted. Our amusement park was in part built on cursed burial ground. We lost six kids in the summer of 89. The customer service was sketchy. Miss Gladys in the ticket booth with a gold tooth kept a loaded handgun in plain sight next to a sign that said, I wish you would. And don't get me started on, on, um, don't get me started on the petting zoo. You know how we washed our hands when we were through petting a gorilla, cow, rattlesnake, wolverine, or kangaroo? We didn't, because back in my day, that was amusement. Okay, so that was <laughs> that was a, a little poem about um, about the, the the beauty and and the dangers of amusement parks, right? Because um, I don't. Does anybody else remember like back in the day when we were just petting shit? And they were like, it was cool. And now then we got COVID and all that. But, you know, we were petting animals right in the mouth. It was really crazy. Um, so I talked about my daughter earlier. And uh, this one is, is for her. Uh, I wrote this when she was three. And this is based off a true story. To all the women warriors, freedom fighters, Ballroom broad divas brandishing brass knuckles while wearing an evening gown. To every lady who's ever laced up a corset in comp boots, packed a piece in your purse or stiletto to match your stiletto heels, congratulations. You've been reborn in the body and soul of my three-year-old. She's a walking street fight, tough as toddler at her daycare. She knows, she knows that nap time is for suckers. Because someone has to stay up and keep watch over the toys, cookies, and juice. She is living proof that you don't have to teach kids loyalty. Because during a routine pillow fight where I made her older sister cry, she turned on me with all fury in her eyes, came at me, and bit me. Just above the knee. She hurt like hell. But I can tell you it was the most honest emotion that I ever felt. It was a message left in tooth imprint. It was almost articulate as her saying, don't you ever fuck with my big sister again, y'all. That fight, that ambition to defend transcended any relationship between daughter and father and that didn't bother me a bit because she only saw the danger and reacted to it. Now I'll be the first to admit that I'll probably get a few phone calls from the principal's office about how my daughter tried to fight some chick two times her size because this chick came out her mouth sideways about her big sis and this. This will be completely expected. Nothing less from the lion-hearted. To rush into a burning building of situations, to shoot first and wait till later to ask the who, what, and why questions. Ladies, she will be the kind of friend that you cannot give all of the information. Because she'll be outside your lover's house waiting with a brick about the size of justified revenge, ready to fight them in front of their friends and will call the police if she doesn't win, but until then, oh, she's my little Napoleon complex with sippy cup. 
hand is just big enough to hold my heart and stolen cookie from no counter, the counter reaction to every fear I've ever had as a dad wondering if someone's gonna try to steal a kiss or her heart and chances are they will, but not before they taste her temper, recognize that she is a fighter and will be swept away by their charming breeze. She already owns the wind. She came into this world a hurricane, a natural force to be reckoned with. She can wear pain like women wear a wedding dress. They should be lucky to even know her name. To know for the sake of everything she loves dearly, she would fight her own father tooth and nail. Literally. So to every woman who's ever held a fist in defense of the helpless, congratulations. Your fight still lives. <laughs> Listen, I got one more. I appreciate y'all kicking it with me. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to Chibi and, and Eddie. So uh, I'm going to get this last poem out of here. But uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time to just listen, uh, especially in this world that we're living in and, you know, where we have to sit still. Uh, I appreciate you sitting still long enough to hear these poems. So thank you. In the beginning, they wanted... They wanted you silent. They wanted you to turn down. But when you were born, your skin became soundtrack. Background music to our history, an old slave's new freedom song, a civil rights march sang in the tune of We Shall Overcome, the funk of a black exploitation flick. The rhythm in your boom box of a chest became movement. When you were born, you were born so loud. God composed you with jazz hands through big band theory, big banged you out on beat machine. You are a black Beethoven walking this world with Jay Dilla dripping through your veins. Your genius, Herbie Hancock, back ready to blast shots of righteous soul. There's a howling wolf wailing from your gut, an electric Hendrix in your liver, Prince and Otis running in full concert in your chin. There's earth, wind, and fire in your lungs. There's a Mississippi Delta blues in your bones, boy, a southern gospel choir in your laughter turned down for what because the music churning inside you scares them scares them enough to pump bullets into your vehicle at a gas station for the day a michael dunn pulls a gun on you for how loud your skin sounded that he could barely hear his own ignorance and fear over the cranked up decibels of god rocking through your body i want you to tell me what song were your eyes playing what station was your body tuned into? It must have been FM Heavenly Station and you were seventh caller cause you won grand prize, called home. Your body was playing the same thing song that black boys seemed to die to. Your melanin is a cranked up volume turned down for what? So they can forget how beautiful you sounded. Forget how hard the fight in your voice echoed against this society that stereotypically views you by the millions dying on YouTube, a society that views you best as a problem solved by pretending you, your rights and your justice don't exist. The close of your casket is deafening. Your death will never be BDS coded, so it won't be on the radio, although your murder will always be requested. Their fear has become music for black boys to die to. Sounds like 
like they got prison bars to rhyme through, like they got a shoddy record deal of a court-appointed lawyer and keep getting screwed. We can't pump up the jam like we used to. Too busy ducking down and dodging bullets aimed at you. This caliber of music, this caliber of music they're giving these black boys to dance to is dangerous. It won a Grammy by selling so much hysteria. Track produced by Jim Crow America. They threw us a holy mackerel of a Macklemore MC, a hip-hop red herring to distract us from hearing that America still has black youth dying, that these cities still have black youth dying, that Philly still has black youth dying, Charlotte still has black youth dying, LA, New York, Houston, Dallas, Miami, Baltimore, Kentucky, you name the city and we will be there dying. The sound, the sound of their bodies falling was so turned up. The sound of mothers crying was so turned up that eardrums erupted and faded into white noise. And eardrums erupted and faded into white noise. The sound fading into white noise. The, the sound fading into white noise. Black boys, they are trying to silence you one injustice at a time, but I don't want you to ever forget I don't ever want you to forget the volume of your greatness, how scared they are of how big you sound. When they ask you to keep your spirit down, I want you to show them how your soul gets crunk. That's when you turn around and let the sound of God pour out your mouth. You tell them, turn down for what? Yeah, I appreciate it. That's my time with my poems. Ah. Thank you so much. This has been great. I feel that. I feel that. I feel that. I feel that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel, I, oh, yeah. I, really I feel those applause. I feel those Go applause. Those. Oh. They are the truth. They're, they're, they're they are the truth. truth. And I want to play my music later, but I have to make an apology because something was pointed out to me. That though I might have a lot of friends named De La Garza, De La Torre, De La Peña, that it's not De La Sol, that it's De La Sol. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Excuse me. I was like, he's just reading it like it's like it's supposed <laughs> to be read. That's, that's De La Sol. That's what it says. <laughs> that's, that's you know what? I, I did the same thing when I first called up. I was hosting a slam, and uh, Eddie Figures was was coming up, and I was like, "Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Eddie Figures." <laughs> oh. uh, so yeah, we just automatically translate everything into, into uh, uh, Spanish pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to ask you. Right. I want to start because you started off heavy. Okay. So we're going to start heavy um, in that first poem. You know, you talk about your daughter yeah. uh, seeing a therapist, mental health. Uh, and I think we all know that mm -hmm. in communities of color specifically, there is a stigma uh, about mental health and about getting therapy and asking right. for help in general. Uh, so I'm really curious, like, how was that journey for you to get to that, to, to get your daughter, you know, to see a therapist and, you know, like, continue to grow in her development and yeah that's a great know. question because <laughs> it was it was a lot and then not a lot right so 
the 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 very idea that she needed therapy was was one. We had to identify that, right? We had to be like, all right, she needs something that obviously we cannot give her. And so when you recognize that, you have to have a conversation with yourself. As a black man, a black father, I'm supposed to be able to take care of my kids no matter what. Like I should never any need. So I have to I have to break that shit first of all. And then when you when you do that, you're saying, you know, that's like I said, it's an indictment on your parenting. Like, am I not doing a good job? What's wrong with me? Can I not do this? So you have to get over yourself, right? Be like, yo, fucker, it's not about you. Your daughter <laughs> needs help. So once I got once I got past that, I was like, all right, cool. This is what we need to do. And shout out to my wife because she was really on it. Like she was like, all right, this is what we need to do because one, neither one of us can know the tools to help this little girl because neither one of us had therapy. You know what I'm saying? We grew up just, you know, like most people of color, our parents were like, just get, get over it. Like get whatever's it. wrong with you, stop crying and get over it. So once we recognized that part, we, we, we definitely sought her help and we also got to use the tools, right? We also got to use the tools that help her, uh, to help her when the times get rough, when she's depressed and, you know, when she just needs the pick me up and all the strategies that she was going to be able to use to just bring her out of whatever she was in. But yeah, man, the biggest part of it was getting over my lack of knowledge of what it, what it meant. Like I, I recognized early on that I could say everything in the world about how much I love her, about how much she's special, about all the things, but it don't mean shit when you're in it. You know what I'm saying? When you're depressed, you're depressed and it doesn't matter who's talking to you. And once I was like, all right, I can't do this. She needs to hear it from someone else. She needs to be able to open up and vent to someone else who was not me. Because even though I say, I'm the safest space in the world, it's still your dad, yo. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm, you say that, but I can't tell you the shit that's in my head because you're going to freak out and I can't take those chances. But yeah, man, that's that's a great question. It, it took a it took a it took a process of me getting over my own sort of insecurities about it and and being being enough of a father to say my baby needs help. Can you help her cuz I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Did right. you still find that there were like obstacles within your family, your friends um who would still maybe like you were maybe afraid to tell them that this was going on or like, like, like did, or did it become more comfortable for them because they probably were going through some of the same things. I, I found that for the folks I did decide to share with, they were like, yo, that's, that's huge. They were like, that's big. That's, they were like, thank you. And like, you're a great dad. And I was getting a lot of that. And I didn't, I was a little embarrassed of that. Cause I was like, I, I don't want to be considered a great dad. I just, you know, I'm just doing what a dad's supposed to do. That shouldn't make me father of the year. You know, I just, I'm just making sure my baby's okay. But I, I think for the most part, like, you know, I, a conversation with my mom and she was like, that's, that's really good. You know, that's really smart. And we never went, you know, any further. Like, do you think you and I should have had some therapy sessions? So, <laughs> but you know, we, we kind of left it there. And, and I, I think for the most part, I'm a balanced enough human being that, you know, all the shit that that's going on with me, I, I can't directly blame her for because some of those were my life decisions. And but she's been a really great parent dealing with what she's dealt with and doing, you know, doing the best that she could. And I recognize that and I could only recognize that now being a parent, you know, because there were some things that my my daughters took me through just 
And it, it, they weren't bad. It was just the worry. You know, it was just the worry about, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Why is she did it? And I was like, holy shit, did I do all this to my mom? And that's why I was like, mom, yo, <laughs> my bad, yo, my bad. I was probably an asshole when I was 15. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I think that part uh, of knowing that my mom was, was, was good with it, um, was I, I sort of the a confirmation that I was sort of looking for and not looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, uh, you talk about being a parent. Uh, how did being a parent change your poetry? Mm-hmm. Tons, like tons. Um, I, I, a lot of the stuff that I, that I wrote sort of, and I don't know where I'm at in my career. I don't know if I'm in the twilight years of my career. I have no idea where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I know when 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 she showed up, I, I knew like all the poems just started coming about being a dad and uh, what it meant and 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 actually even before her, like my stepson, uh, I met him when he was eight, and my first sort of dad poem was Joseph, um, and was about him and getting to know him and raising raising this black boy that that wasn't necessarily mine, but he's in my charge. Like as long as you know you live with me and and I'm I'm responsible for you. You are my son, and that's what's going to happen. Um, so being a parent really transformed the way I looked uh, at at my approach to writing, um, especially in terms of responsibility. Before I was before I was a dad, I I was just writing about anything, and it didn't <laughs> it didn't matter. Uh, it was fun though. Like I had fun, but. It didn't have any sort of. I wasn't looking to impact anything. I wasn't looking to hit anything. I was just writing, you know, just to getting just getting shit out. But I think once I had some sort of focus and direction, I had focus and direction. Um, mm. And then poems got a little bit more serious. Poems got a little bit more had a little bit more of an angle to them, a little bit more of a, a, a direction, if you will. Um, but and they and they and they got to be more personable. I think that's what really sparked up was I got to look at myself. And, and share myself a little bit more uh, through the introspection because I was a father now. Like, I, I think these poems will be the record that I leave behind for my kids. Because um, mm-hmm. they get what I do, but they're, they could give a fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're just like, eh, my, my dad's a poet. And, it, you know, and it's, it, you, could, you could read that entire bio to my daughter. She'll be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, is my is my cell phone gonna get paid from like that's that's kind of where they are so I and yeah. I and I understand it I understand it because I used to be that age and didn't have real interest in what my parents were doing but I'm hoping that when they're old enough they can kind of look back on some of the things that I've done and things that I've written and say yeah my dad loved me and he loved me enough to sh- to use his art to tell me mm. well props to you you know for for taking the decisions to like take care of your kids and how that's evolved in your poetry and if I'm I mean, maybe the tequila skewing my memory, but you were a part of a, a show called Daddy Issues, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With <laughs> with a bunch of other poets that were fathers. Uh, that was phenomenal. I went and watched it, and I I don't have I I have furry kids at the moment, but um, it was just it was just so great to hear you guys like just be real about like the struggles of of fatherhood and and raising kids and so just props to you on being a fantastic dad is from Thank what you. it seems um sure. i want to i want to i want to ask because i don't think we ever had an emmy winner on this show so i have to ask 
Okay. Um, one, what was it for? And two, how was that? <laughs> you know, how uh, did it come about? So the uh, the Emmy that I won, uh, that was well, there's there's three, and oh. I I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you did because 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 each Lex, one is yo. different. Each one is different. Uh, the one that's most memorable is for making of a masterpiece. Uh, I did with Raycom Sports. So there's a big a basketball rivalry between uh, the University of North Carolina, the Blue Devils, and the Tar Heels, right? Uh, it's super big, especially here in North Carolina. And before every game, they used to do these really epic openers. So they'd go and do a video shoot and da-da-da. So one particular year, they were like – and I'd been working with them for a year. And they were like, yo, do you want to write the opener? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to write the opener. So I did this poem about making of a masterpiece and it was blueprint and da, 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 da. it was really, it was really cool. It was all shot in a blue hue and da, 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 all the cliche things of a sports little opener that you could think of. Um, and so that, that ran on CBS and I think ESPN that year. It was, so it was cool. It was cool to, it was cool to do. It was cool to see. And so the Emmy awards come around uh, and we submitted that for the Emmy awards. And uh, this, this particular Emmy awards was happening I didn't go, but you could watch it online. Hmm. So I get home. I think I was, I forgot what I was doing, but I knew, I just remembered like, oh, they're showing the, the telecast or whatever. So I go home, log on to my computer. And as I'm logging on, our category comes up. And the category is for uh, sports opener or it's, it's sports opener for something, something, something. It's really niche, but it's, <laughs> it was, it was fun. So I get there. I, Put in, you know, a little code, and I'm watching. And I'm like, oh, shit, talk about perfect timing. And they're calling the names out, and they say, and the winner is making of a masterpiece, Raycon Sports, da 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 And they're saying the names. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm in the house screaming my head off. <laughs> Everybody runs in, and they're like, what's wrong? It's like, we won. We won. And my daughters are like, what'd you win? I'm like, I won an Emmy. They're like. Nice. <laughs> and they walk out. I'm like, yo, what the fuck, man? I just, I won an Emmy. And they were like, yeah, we are going back to our dinner. <laughs> you're screaming like a, you're screaming like a maniac for no good reason at all. So, and that goes back to where I'm saying my kids could give a shit. But it, for that, for that <laughs> moment, for that moment, it was, it was, it was surreal. It was so like the fact that I just walked in, logged in right there. Boom, boom, boom. It's like I didn't have to wait for anything. It was just like instant. And I, it, was, it was incredible, man. It was so incredible. Um, and I, I'm super proud of it. Like, I'm super proud of that. Oh, wow. Well, the other, the other one that I'm kind of curious about, the other accolade, see, is um, I have to tell you a little bit before that. I have a, I have a cousin who was a casualty in Iraq. And uh, some years later, in um, there was a – there was a NASCAR race uh, where they put, I think it was Memorial Day weekend, they put um, the uh, soldiers who had passed on the cars. And mm -hmm. Donica Patrick was, uh, drove the car with my cousin's name on it on the side and stuff, you know, and, and his picture and whatnot. And I kind of always, I saw the pictures uh, later on of my uncle and my aunt going to this thing. And I, and I kept wondering, I was like, this is great. But I wonder how they're going to react when they see what my aunt and my uncle look like at this NASCAR race. 
right? Because <laughs> uh, NASCAR isn't traditionally like a space for people of color. And, uh, but you are like the voice of NASCAR. And <laughs> what is that like? Uh, so yeah, at, at the time, at the time I was doing a lot with NASCAR. Um, and that was amazing. Uh, the, and the way that I got into it was very, it's like sort of another serendipitous kind of thing. So I, here we have this magazine called Charlotte, uh, sorry, Creative Loafing. And it's just this, you know, it's everything you would think. It's an artsy magazine. It talks about arts and what's going on and politics and blah, blah, blah. And then they did this, I don't want to say expose. It's not an expose. It was literally like this little blurb about me, like a little thing. And it's, you know, what are your hobbies? Uh, you know, I said, I love soccer. I played soccer since I was 10. And I love NASCAR, da, da, da. It was just quick, 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 quick. And one of the producers from NASCAR saw it. And he was like, he gave me a call. He's like, listen, my name is Kevin Jackson. I'm really with NASCAR. Because at the time, everybody was saying they were with NASCAR, but they weren't. I don't know what the scam was at the point, but it was enough for him to say what he said. Um, so he was like, yeah, come down. Let's talk about, you know, this project. And I go down and I, and I go to the offices. And like, this is cool. And they're like, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to do a shoot and, you know, we're going to do it in Indianapolis. And we're going to take about two days to do it and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, all right. You know, I, I, I'm still thinking he's just bullshitting, right? <laughs> I get home and I get a phone call from a number I didn't know. And I was like, hello. And she was like, hi, uh, Boris. Uh, we need your, and she just got right to it. We need your social and your birthday. And I'm like, yo, first of all, who are you? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I believe her name was Joni. I cannot remember. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we, we're, we're booking the tickets so you can fly to Indianapolis and da, da, da. So that's when it got real. I was like, oh shit, we're really doing this. And we flew to Indianapolis, did two days. We did an amazing shoot and it ran and the bag was, was nice. So uh, we get back. They run the they run the um, they run the uh, the shoot that we did. And and mind you, for for this part of it, it's called a quick turnaround. So it's like we get notes Monday, we do shoot Tuesday, they edit Wednesday, and it's ready by Sunday. And we that's what our week looked like. Because once we got back and we sh and they aired it, the response was so good. NASCAR was like, "Yo, um, NASCAR and Sprint." They were like, "Yo." Let's do the rest of the season. Bad. Let's do a whole nother year. Bad. Mm. Let's do a whole nother year. So it ended up being like three years of that, which was super cool. But yeah, man, the 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 funniest part was after the the second year, I'm at Charlotte Motor Speedway, um, and that's you know, you if you wanted to say NASCAR had a home, it was there. <laughs> and I'm walking. I forgot where I was going. I think I was headed to Red Bull had a tent at the time, so I'm walking back to the Red Bull tent. And this guy walks up, no no shirt on, cargo shorts. I believe he was wearing sneakers or flip flops, but he was he was sunburnt, and he was he was just as red as the neck it could be. And he walks up, he was he's drunk. I know he's drunk, and he's like, "Hey, man, hey!" And I'm like, "Okay, here we go. <laughs> he's about to throw nigger at me right now." I'm like, "I'm like, I gotta be ready." I got to be ready for it. I'm like, you can't react out here because this is not the place you won't win. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, hey, man. He's like, yo, hey, you're the guy. You're the rap guy from the, sh from the commercials. He kept calling me the rap guy because, you know, 
what we do is rap to everybody else. It's not poetry. It's always rap. Sure. We're the rap guys. And I was like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, that's me. He's like, oh, man, that's so amazing what you do. I, I really appreciate it. I've never heard. I've never heard about sport talked about like that. He was like real with a lot of gratitude. And I was not ready for that. I was ready for everything else. But that was another sort of confirmation to say, listen, what you do and what you've been doing is impacting someone. Mm. And they're, they're, you're casting a different perspective of who you are and who they think black folks are. Mm. And they're, like, it's, they're not a monolith. They are very diverse in what we do. And we also love the sport. And we also do these other things. But I think just that moment alone was him really tackling the, the moment to say, I see you. I appreciate what you do, even though I'm amongst all these motherfuckers who would who would who would tell me different. And I was like, all right, man, if if I never if I ne all the checks in the world and, and everything else, that was sort of the biggest confirmation for me because he was a complete stranger. We are complete polar opposites of probably what we think and do. But he he took his time and sobered up enough to tell me about my poetry <laughs> and my work. So. Yeah, man. So when we talk about walking into spaces like that, Eddie, it's you're always like head on a swivel. But, you know, some folks, some folks will just surprise the shit out of you. And you're like, yo, that was dope. Well, was as dope. they say in the South, hot damn. Hot damn. <laughs> so that's that's a little bit about your past. Let's talk a little bit about your present and your future. Mm. Um, you are now the director of creative engagement for blue menthol performing arts yes can you briefly tell us what blue menthol performing arts is for those that don't know and what your new role is and how you plan to blossom bloom <laughs> thrive uh, so uh blue menthol is the how do i say this and not sound like a dick um <laughs> like it's it's the it's the performing arts center probably in North Carolina. Like they're okay. huge. It's huge. We bring Broadway shows. We bring Hamilton, Lion King, Mary Poppins. You know, do uh, you name it? It comes through here. Um, so they're huge. Operate out of six theaters in the city. Um, and what they what they recognize is that they are like in this, especially in this COVID season, that they are a machine, uh, a very efficient machine, very dope at what they do, but they don't always have the community touch. They don't always have sort of the grassroots connection mm. to. So what, what they, and I've worked with them for years, like our, our slams, we've, we've run our slams out of their, out of their theaters for the past 15, 16 years. So the relationship has always been there. Um, things that we've been able to do with them and partner with them. So for them to offer me a job was an invitation to do more, to do more uh, inside the community. And, really reflect the the artistry of people of color um, that are living in the city. And, it, you know, the timing was was a little, you know, with everything that's been happening, you know, corporations are trying to get ahead of things. But for this part of it, it was it wasn't like they just hired in anybody off the street to just put a black face to it. Mm -hmm. It was because I knew a lot of people doing a lot of fucking things and I can make that work. So what I what I do is I literally look for and at this point and i say this i lean towards my friends like because i know these people who are doing the work sure. and they've been out here for years so why not uh 
to get them into spaces that haven't traditionally been the spaces to get them into, that, that they haven't always had access to. So it's working out relationships and partnerships with them to, to allow more access, but not just for them, for the folks in the community who can't go to theaters, because y'all tell me, how many times did your parents be like, yo, we're going to the theater this weekend? Hell no. My parents were like, yo, if you don't go sit your ass down while I make this food, and so I can go to bed and go to work, you know, they were they were busy making sure we stayed alive and they didn't have too much time to, to kind of indulge that those artistic thing. So mm. a part of else what I want to do is be able to, to give access to folks who don't have access, who don't have the opportunity to do that. And those could be black, white, brown, whoever. It's it's more those who don't have the income to access the arts like that. Yeah. So we figure out ways to do that. We figure out ways to let the artists thrive in the community that they live in. See what we have, Blumenthal, all the theaters are what we call uptown. So it's like the bigger part of the city, Charlotte proper, if you will. But what what I want to be able to do is let artists thrive in the neighborhood that they are in. So if we can find the spaces that we can put them in where folks can come see them and they don't have to take three buses or an Uber or horse and buggy to get to them, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we want to be able to do that. So that's that's pretty much what I'm what I'm assigned to do. Now, are you originally from Charlotte? No, I moved here in 94. So, I mean, basically, I'm from yeah. Charlotte at this point. But my dad was in the military. So we, we moved around. I've lived in Vegas, Washington State, um, Germany for, for a time. And then uh, I graduated. Mm -hmm. We moved to South. When we got from Germany, we moved to South Carolina. And South Carolina is where I pretty much did off the rest of my schooling, if you will. I graduated from there and moved up to Charlotte. Mm. So, um, I guess, I guess, but you're still there. You seem to be mm -hmm. a real big part of Charlotte, or, or I should say Charlotte is a real big part of you. Like to somebody yeah. not from there, tell us what it, what is it about that city that's so special? Um, the amazing thing about this, this city, Eddie, is I've watched it grow and it's, and it's, and it's helped me grow. Um, Charlotte was a, I don't want to say it was a small town. It was a banking town for sure. And it still is. But when I got here, it was, it was sure shit banking. Like <laughs> that was the thing. Um, but there wasn't, there wasn't much development. Uh, I went to the university of North Carolina, Charlotte and around that area was a lot of woods. There was a lot of trees and we fast forward all the way to now. It's a booming metropolis. We're fighting gentrification. We have that problem. We're big enough to have a gentrification problem and it's okay. a serious one. We're big enough to have an affordable housing problem, and it's serious. Um, we're, we're, we're big enough to where when police murder someone, uh, we make national news. That's where we are. Um, so this town is amazing, and it's full of amazing folks who are super creative. And with that, this town is also very trendy. It's also very, what have you done for me lately? It's mm. because we've seen a lot of the artists who who come from the city, move away, who move to an Austin, who move to an LA, who move to a New York and get a lot of support. And it's frustrating as fuck because I know there's money here. I know there are opportunities here, but we don't embrace the arts like we should. Um, we produce a lot of really great artists from this town, but we just don't, we don't give them the love and support that we should. Well, I could say that about five years ago, that was really, really true we're making a, a really strong turn now. Like they're really kind of seeing, hey, 
we're losing really great talented artists who are showing up in these other towns. And then we find out, oh, you know, they're from right up the road. He's like, how did we lose them? <laughs> well, the motherfuckers didn't pay them. That's why, you know, shit like that. But uh-huh. uh, this city is, is full of really wonderful, amazing, genuine artists. Like the artists who live here are very passionate and genuine about what they do. Um, and, and I think that's part of it for me that, that keeps me here. And, and it's a great town to raise a family in. Uh, it's gotten dangerous this year. I worry a little bit about that, but for the most part, you know, it's, it's, it's still, it's still affordable (laughs) (laughs) for right now. Um, But it's, it's trending away from that, but you know, all in all, it's a great city. It's a great town. Uh, Like any other city, it has its problems, but Mm -hmm. I think the artists here, the folks who create here, who, who love on this city with their, with their craft and their work are, are really the big draw for me. Mm. So let me ask you, uh, I started asking these questions during Hispanic Heritage Month where I was like, what's your favorite thing about where you're from and what's your favorite dish? And then I realized I can do this regardless of where people are from. So Eddie kind of asked the first part about like, what do you love about where you live, Charlotte? So let me ask you, what is your favorite North Carolinan dish? Ooh, that is a... Great question. Um, and hard to answer because we have a lot of great foods. Um, there, there is a, uh, and people are going to, if they see this, they're going to throw bricks at me. There's a really <laughs> great, there's a really great chicken spot Ooh. and it runs out of a gas station. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, there's a gas station on South Boulevard that has the most amazing fried chicken and, and wedges, I think, in the in the county, probably in the state. It is so good. Like it's it's simple. It's when you're <laughs> when you're coming out of the club drunk, or if you're just trying to grab lunch <laughs> in the middle of the day, it is some of the best food that there is. Um, so there's that, and then there's probably uh Oh man, there's there's so many good spots here. Probably another spot is is Mertz. They have really great cornbread and uh, these sort of collard collard green egg rolls. Like, okay, oh, what? So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, but I just I mean, want to yeah. go back to this. That you're saying that there's a place where like you get out of the club, get out of the bar at two o'clock in the morning, and you can get fried chicken. Okay, we need that here. We, do we need that? We need that. Okay, because I, I love tacos, and you know I get tacos anywhere, any time of day. But sometimes about that time of night, like I wrote the, I wrote about this on Facebook. I don't know some years ago, and what some of my friends were like, "Yeah, I thought I was the only one that wanted fried chicken at that hour." I'm like, no. <laughs> Listen, I to to Jim's restaurant at four ten to get fried chicken. That is like when I say it is a thing. When people talk about it, if you ask folks from Charlotte, where can I get fried chicken? And they'll, they'll probably name this gas station. And it's it's a, it's a like, and I'm not talking like a fancy gas station, like a QT or anything like that. It's a fucking gas station. Like, <laughs> yeah. You get gas there. There's probably someone outside trying to bum a dollar. There's probably, I think the last time I was there, there was a, there was a slight police chase. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a mini one. <laughs> just, just, you know, just it was enough for to make everybody in the restaurant in the in the gas station go okay and go right back to what they were doing. Uh, but yeah, it's it's amazing. Like I, I think the first place that that happens in, in your town that starts serving 
fried chicken after the club closes or whatever is going to be like big business. <laughs> I'm so glad you said fried chicken because a few months ago we had Ed Mabry on here. We had a discussion about barbecue and he threw Ooh. North Carolina barbecue under the bus hard core. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have that fight with you. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, because, and this will probably get me beat up. North Carolina barbecue is, is really vinegar based, right? It's so all it's vinegar. Great, right. And I, I'm not a fan of vinegar based. Like you give me, and, and this isn't because you guys are in Tejas, but I love Texas barbecue. Like, uh-huh. so <laughs> I, I love the way it's smoked and it's, it's like, yeah, I get it. It's, 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 it's some of the best, um, that in, uh, some 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 St. Louis barbecue too. So, well, yeah. you know what? Ed didn't Ed didn't even like. He went. He didn't go to Memphis. He didn't go to St. Louis. He didn't go to Texas. He didn't go to North Carolina. He went to Miami, and he said that was like some of the best barbecue. <laughs> and we have lost blues. <laughs> there's 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 only one place in Miami that I've had really great barbecue, and it and it's also ran out of like an obscure place out of this church. I cannot remember the name of it, but it's. It's really great. It's amazing. I, I won't say it's the best, but it's <laughs> it'll do. It'll do. So let me ask you real quick, because uh, I have no concept of time anymore. There was a Southern Fried that happened in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, in the past. And so us from Texas, we drove up there and drove through South Carolina to get into North Carolina. For those that don't know, the difference between North Carolina and South Carolina is what? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's more bricks. It's, to be okay, <laughs> it's a it's a good question. I I, I would almost <laughs> gas prices. <laughs> that might be that might be the biggest difference. Um, I I do feel like, and this is crazy, but. Some folks will agree. I feel like it's just hotter in South Carolina. I don't know why that is. It legit feels fucking hotter down there. And it's not, and it shouldn't. Like, there's no real big geographical difference between (laughs) where we are. But I feel like once you cross the border, things just get hotter. Um, I I do think there's a a deeper sense of appreciation for history in North Carolina uh, Mm. and for, for, for folks in North Carolina, and and this is me saying this as a person who graduated high school and from South Carolina. Like I, I went to elementary school and middle school and high school in South Carolina, and I love it. It's it's a great place if you grew up there and understand uh, where you are and get an appreciation from it. And it does have its it has its shitty parts. Like it does have its shitty parts, but I think North Carolina has a better appreciation for some cultural things. Uh, and I think that might be like the only difference. And that's just strictly my opinion. You know, that's mm-hmm. strictly my opinion and my experience. But the biggest, the, the, the real difference, the real difference, gas prices. I swear to God, <laughs> people will drive down to South Carolina to get the cheaper gas. And it's wow. not just like a nickel cheaper. It might be like 15 cents sometimes cheaper, maybe 20. Like, and you'll be pissed because it's, it's literally you cross the border and the price drops, and you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like, <laughs> for real. Yeah, we're getting yeah. robbed up here. Yes, I don't know. 
I mean, I guess my question came because like Texas is so big that we like rival cities, right? Austin versus San Antonio versus Houston versus Dallas, whatever. But uh, I, I didn't know. Also, apparently, yeah. Yeah. yeah left out and we just did it. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know if there was a North Carolina versus South Carolina battle happening. Nah, not really. Nah, nah, nah not really. Yeah, I, be- within the state, I mean, Duke versus you know North Carolina. Right. Like, yeah. Like, now that yeah, that happens a lot. You get you get the Duke stuff uh, versus Carolina. Uh, NC State gets State, thrown in there a lot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's there's a lot of in-state battles with that. All right. So then I'm gonna we're gonna segue a little bit maybe into music. But first thing, first question is best musical act to come out of North Carolina. Whew. Um. Whew. And I will. I oh God. <laughs> if if. If we're considering hip hop, uh, I would say Fonte from Little Brother, Little Brother as a whole. And then if you start breaking it up, then you've got Ninth Wonder, you got Big Pooh, and then you got Fonte. Fonte is doing a lot of really great, amazing work. Um, I always say Drake is the great value Fonte. Uh, <laughs> um, if if you know Fonte's work and you heard Drake, you'd be like, oh, that that is so true. <laughs> um, so Fontigolo, Fontigolo, Fontigolo is, is really dope. Um, the audience it, agrees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, who else is, is coming out of North Carolina? Uh, of course you got G Yamazawa who, who's doing his oh, thing man. straight out of Durham. Um, he's, he's super dope. Um, and the baby is, you know, he's super popular. I don't think he's the best thing to come out of the state, but he's, you know, I, I, I respect his grind and his craft and what he's been able to do with the genre. Um, and then that's where I'm at right now, because there are some other folks out here who are, who are doing some big things, but I just don't think they're, they're popping yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you mentioned um, privately, but it's not private anymore, uh, that you like uh, 80s music. I do. So I have I some of musical questions for you. Okay. Um, this is the part where I remove myself from the conversation because <laughs> I hate 80s music. Oh, oh no. No, 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 no. You don't have to do that. You can, you, can, you can come back in. But all right. Here's a few. Here's a few. Best song by the Jets. Oh. Um. <laughs> Probably head to toe. <laughs> okay. Best Brian Adams song. Brian Adams. You gotta love the Canadians. Um, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on Brian Adams right now. Oh, no, there's a bunch of soundtracks, of course, but like that's some of those are '90s. But uh, yeah, but those kind of, there's there's some they're like bridge '80s '90s. So I, I, we're gonna excuse that one. Uh, Tiffany versus Debbie Gibson. Mm. Battle of the Mall Queens. Um, we're gonna have to go Deborah Gibson because she calls oh, herself Deborah now. Deborah, Deborah, right. Deborah. Culture Club versus Wham. Oh, Culture Club all day. Men at Work versus Human League. Fuck. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go Men at Work. Uh, land down under right. all all day. Soundtracks: Footloose versus Top Gun. Wow, and you did your homework. Too. <laughs> um, wow, because I had to, I had to, I had to say that, right? Because Top Gun gave us 
some mega hits, man. And then Footloose, Footloose alone, you know, the 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 theme song to the movie alone was enough. Um, I'm still gonna have to ride with Top Gun. I, no. I think. I, I think even just because of the theme music was was enough, you know. That's right, yeah, yeah. Plus, right. that, I think Top Gun has a better range of songs, right? Right. Primarily all dance songs, right? You know, or like you know certain types of dance songs, but the um, the Top Gun, you know, you got like the Take My Breath Away, you got slow stuff, mm-hmm. and then also like you know Kenny Loggins stuff. Yeah. Um, Def Jam versus Death Row. Mm. Mm. Um. Damn. Damn, Eddie. Um. That's that's tough, because Def Jam gave us foundational hip hop, and Death Row gave us, I feel like, trans trans transitional hip hop into into something different. They gave us gangster. Oh my God, that's tough. Uh, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be an old school purist and go with Def Jam because Def Jam begats Death Row. All right, all right, all right. Breaking versus Beat Street. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, oh god. I I'm, I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna get jumped on the street, but I'm gonna go with Breaking because oh really yeah okay. because that's the movie I saw in the theater. Like I saw Beat Street and I I got it, but it just <laughs> and I hate to say it, Breaking was so commercial and so digestible. Like it was easier for me to just consume that. Although I got the autis- the authenticity of 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 B Street, though that was okay. that was that was dope for the culture. But Breaking was just more fun. It was just more fun to watch. I can see that. I could see that. Don't totally see that. All right. Before I go into other like um, battles, best act to come out of Kids Incorporated. That's a great one because I don't remember anything that came out of Kids Incorporated. Oh no no no! Okay, like best person, like uh, we got Martika, uh-huh. and Mario Lopez, we got Fergie, and Jennifer Hewitt. Man, I might say Mario Lopez, and that's that's going to be a weird weird one because I think he's just managed to to stay balanced enough. I would say Fergie, but then Fergie sang that national anthem, which. <laughs> We yeah, spiraled yeah. Oh! spiraled everything for her. Oh! He's back. He's back. <laughs> You're back for that one, huh? <laughs> that was, that was Mark Lopez because he was like the one, like, you know, Hispanic person on there. But now he since he looks the same as he did back on, you know, right. Like, no, because like he, he's too pretty. We can't we can't have we can't age. You gotta age, you know. Somewhere, okay. like yeah. Somehow, like grow a gray hair somewhere, dude. Something, Something. you can't even say. It. Not, nah, I don't know. All right. Um, la- uh, this is the last of those battle ones, so we can bring back it because we're missing Chibi. But here, here's the last one. And I, this, I don't know how you feel about this. Whitney versus Janet. <sighs> See. <Ugh>. See. Uh. <laughs> See, <laughs> um, my God, Whitney Houston versus Janet Jackson. You you would think to go Janet because she had a a dope acting. I mean, an acting career that's you know that Whitney never really kind of got. 
I'm going with Whitney because Whitney can just, she's a pure singer. Like Janet, and this is going to sound fucked up. Janet, Janet had a lot riding on the name. Like she, mm-hmm. she got a lot of, she got that coattails. Janet can sing, but she can't Whitney sing, you know, right. and Janet. And while Whitney can't Janet dance, she don't have to like, like bitch, I'm finna sing the shit out of this song. You can dance all you want to, <laughs> but I'm finna sing the shit out of this song. Whitney, when, yeah, you got singer versus pop star, basically. I think that's right. When yeah. when when Dolly Parton says, "I wrote that song, but it's not my song anymore," that's when you know that you yeah. you've done some shit. And you've done mm-hmm. some shit. I'm gonna go ahead and confess that those last two names were the only ones I recognized out of that entire <laughs> battle. So I'm really glad that <laughs> I just excuse for. I knew Fergie, but I didn't know what, what, what where, where did she come from? Culture kid? What? Kids I had no incorporated. idea. Oh my gosh. See, no cool. idea. Did you watch it, Liz? I, I, I didn't watch that one. Oh, you didn't? I didn't know. watch that one. I might have been one of the only people that watched it, uh, but it was a kid <laughs> show. One of these like comes after, you know, like, uh, I think, I don't know if it came on Saturday. It was syndicated, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, but it was about a band of uh, literally like a musical band of kids. Same. No yeah. idea. But um, so let's 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 finish off on this point then on the point of music. You have an album coming out. You've got you've got music dropping currently available on Spotify and mm-hmm. Apple Music. Tell us a little bit about this this new uh, song project that's that's coming through. Uh, so the project is called Duologue, um, and it, it's in works with uh, this amazing. Singer, songwriter, producer Anthony Rodriguez of Soul Gannick. Uh, he goes by Anron now. It's and it's so cool. Uh, <laughs> but during the pandemic, during it's still happening. <laughs> when we first, <laughs> when it when we first started, uh, when things were going wonky, we were really getting into this space of trying to figure things out. And he's always just shot me music. And then I just texted him one day. I said, "Collab," and he was like, "Yes." Uh, so he shot me beats and shot me some music and his music is just so different because he's like a, a musician, musician, not just, you know, I can sample tracks and I'm really good at it, but he plays a couple different instruments. And, uh, so his ear is just really different. And I, it, it gave me a chance to not only just do poetry, but, you know, sort of dig back into my MC roots, dig back into, uh, some different writing and, and it, offered me a chance to kind of sing a little bit and I've dabbled with that. I'm not the best singer. I can probably hold a tune for like five seconds and then after that it gets weird but it was enough for me to to do some songwriting, to to try some shit you know, just try some shit and it's it's an experimental album um, and I don't mean experimental like the sounds get all weird, you gotta smoke a bowl before you can really get it. It's just <laughs> it's just we're trying some different things that we don't normally get to do. So mm-hmm. It was fun. There are messages behind it, um, and you know, it's just really, it's just really good cool music. It's it's vibe music, as the the young folks would say. It's it's a vibe. It's vibe mm, music. So, vibe. yeah. Cool. Well, the single "Stronger" is available now on Spotify and Apple Music. You can just look up "Blues" B L U Z to find it. We were listening to it at the top of the show. Um, I think if you try to find stronger, you're just going to get a bunch of Britney Spears remixes. So don't go that route. (laughs) Uh, But thank you so much for spending this hour with us, letting us get to know a little bit more about you, 
your history, your work, your 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 family, yourself has been uh, a pleasure to be here. I, re- I really appreciate it. And I got to send a big shout out to uh, who's turned out to be a good friend. Uh, my man, uh, Special Ed. I think he's tuned in. Yeah, I see him in the Facebook. I see Ed Archer in there. So that's super cool that uh, that he popped up. And yeah. that's that's also very surreal. Someone that you grew up listening to is, you know, now someone you can be like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, forward to figure out how to get here. But, hey, he got here. He got yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. He got <laughs> here. He got here. So that's what's up. But, y'all, uh-huh. this, is, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for uh, – Allowing me to come on and, and and just hang out with y'all. This is this is great because I miss Thanks. y'all. Like Aww. Southern Fired, yeah. we we didn't get to do that. So. Yeah. Community. Yeah. Well, yeah, if yeah. you would do us the pleasure of just closing us out with one more poem, it would be our our honor. Got you, got you, got you. Um. So, and I'm as as I'm looking because <laughs> I forgot there was the one more poem that I was going to do. <clears throat> How about? Uh, how about words and shit? <laughs> I mean, we all we all use our words and shit, especially when we're going through shit. Like when we're going through some shit, some shit that seems ridiculous, that's some shit that seems insurmountable, like a mountain top that we can't ever get to the top of. We use our words to climb up, to to level up, to use as ladders, ladders. You know, each rung, each rung sounds like a bell rung, maybe, maybe something higher. Words and shit. This all be freestyle, right? This all be off the top of the dome. But sometimes, sometimes the dome also be home. Cliche, corny to say, but words and shit, words and shit find a way into your heart into your dome, into your heart space, into your head. And then they end up coming out during a words and shit podcast where Chibi and Eddie give you words and shit to say, give you a poem to deliver to the folks, to the folks who are sitting at home. Thank you so much for tuning into this, to this part of your life, to this part where you get to share art with another person who may not ever get to see you, but you know they have said some shit, words and shit, words and shit that I hope are a gift to you. A gift that you can unwrap in a week or two when you are feeling at your worst, when you're staring up at that mountain again, when the ladder isn't high enough. I hope these words and shit will take you high enough to the top to get you over, to get you over the hump, to get you over the hump day into the weekend until the week ends and you can end it with a smile. You can end it with a chibi laugh. You can end it with an Eddie smartness. I know, I know you folks are out there smiling laughing, continue to do so. No matter what this world gives you, continue to smile and laugh. Don't let it defeat you. Continue to smile and laugh. Don't let it defeat you. Continue to be you. Be beautiful. Be something amazing. Be something like words and shit. Be something like a gift to me because I need that. I need your reflection back. I need the echo back of your words and shit, maybe not the shit, but the words definitely need it. Damn! That's our first ever like freestyle at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, that said everything about us. I think we should 
this is being recorded, so we're probably going to use that as the intro now. Uh, for everything. Give <laughs> <laughs> some good to the Emmys. You know? Yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it. We all win. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, three-time, three-time Emmy Award winner, <laughs> Blues, here on Words and Shit. Thank, Thank you so you much, much for joining us. Much. That was awesome. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. If anybody wants to tip the poet, make sure you do it. Cash App is Mr. Blues, M-R-B-L-U-Z. You can also follow him on Instagram, Blues, Blues, Blues. That's B-L-U-Z three times. Or Mr. Blues on Twitter. And then again, go check out his new album, Singles Out Now, Stronger, on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you, Blues, right. for joining us. Yes, yes, yes. Appreciate hey, it. Chippy, uh, we've got some amazing guests coming up. Who do we got next week? We do. So next week we are bringing up, um, I mean, I guess we can call him a button poet. Button poet Adam Faulkner is coming oh, on to no. the show. He just published a book this past year called The Willies. Uh, his videos have been all over the place on uh, bu- through button poetry. He's been on HBO, NBC, NPR, BET. I mean, just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So excited. Person on here again. (laughs) More famous people. We were supposed to see him uh, back at AWP when it happened uh, here in San Antonio, but then COVID happened. So missed encounters. But he will be here next week, live, 7.30 on uh, Words and Shit. So we are super excited to host that. Thank you to everybody that Janie and Adrian and Ed. Thank you all for, for making those comments. And, and do come back. We're here every Thursday at the same time. So come back and watch. And then also, we're a podcast. We're a podcast. So if this is your first time joining us or if you're just jumping in here, you've been joining us for a few weeks. We've been doing this since April, y'all. Uh, so if you want to go back and listen to past episodes, um, we mentioned Ed Mabry was on here months ago. We had Faylita Hicks. Uh, we had David Bowles. I mean, just in this family. Yeah, a number of people. Go check us out. Words and shit, the podcast. It's out there. Follow Write Art Out on Instagram uh, to find out more about the initiatives that we're putting in place, workshops and open mics. And you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter, words and shh. Words and shh. And it would be words and shit, but they don't want us to say that on Twitter and Instagram. So we're just, we're not a secret. We're just words and shh. So yeah, thank you for joining us, everybody. Until next time, that was Eddie Vega. And that was Chibi Ordonia. Take care, y'all. Good night. <laughs>